0: Good morning, Transit. How's everyone doing today? Good? Amen. Hey, my name is Nick. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here at the church. So we're going to start by uh, saying the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to pray before I dive in here. So uh, verses should be up on uh, the screen, and we're going to be reading the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. And uh, once that gets up there, we also, if you're the first time here, we have Bibles for you in the center aisle. So yeah, if you can skip to the next slide. Next one. Boom, there it is. All right, so here we go. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Help me read this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we come before you and we, we rejoice in the fact that you've given us the right to call you Father. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, Christ, for making that possible that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that we're covered by your blood so we can fellowship with you that you've given us the right to be called children, son and daughter of you. So thank you, God. We worship you. We exalt your name, the name that is above all names this morning. Spirit, would you come in power? Would you uh, uh, shine more brightly in my weakness? Would you increase? Would I decrease? And would you do today what only you can take credit for? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, hey, if you knew me when I was in high school, you knew that I was a skater, and some of you know that I played ice hockey, not that kind of skater. I was a, a skateboarder. And, and some of you, uh, that it's like, oh, something just clicked. That makes a whole lot of sense. Nick skateboarded, hence all the dudes and booms and, and all that stuff. But so here's the deal. When I was a freshman in high school, I had the awesome opportunity to know one of my best friends and, and his parents. They took us to the X Games in Philadelphia, the X Games. It's like the, the Super Bowl of skateboarding, it's like the Olympics of extreme sports. So, if you don't know what the X Games are, it's where skateboarders and BMXers and motocross dudes go, and they perform, and they get medals, and it's essentially the Olympics of extreme sports. And so, we went there, and my friend's dad, he he worked for CBS, which meant that he had all these like press passes that we 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 wore. But however, like CBS was not at the event; it was not affiliated at all with the event. We just had these sweet press passes which meant that we got to go wherever we wanted. And, and everyone would look and be like, CBS, this doesn't make any sense, but you have a press pass. So yeah, go wherever you want. Shockingly easy to go where you want is if you have a press pass. So with that said, we uh, the first day we make our way to the vert ramp. If you don't know what a vert ramp is, it's this massive half pipe. Like like, like huge. Uh, I don't even know how many feet it is in the air. I'm sure you've seen it, where the skateboarders, they drop in, they go down, they go up, they go up in the air like 15 feet, they land, they do some crazy turns, go back down, go up, you know, just up and down, up and down. These guys are just, uh, when it comes to skateboarding, we, we worship these guys we hallowed their name. They were wholly other. We knew what we couldn't do on a skateboard, and they could do all the things we couldn't do. And we we're like, oh my gosh, these guys are gods, right? And I'm talking like Tony Hawk, Danny Way, Bob Burnquist. Anyone tracking with me? No. Okay, that's good. Uh, yes, I see one person. Good, Good. good. Uh, this means nothing to you except for like two of you. It's great. Um, anyways, Next. so what was, uh, what was cool was... We actually were sitting as we were watching the Vert Ramp competition. We were sitting next to Tony Hawk's family. So, my friend's parents were literally talking to Tony Hawk's wife. Everyone knows who Tony Hawk is. Come on, right? Okay. Don't say preach, Nick. All right. You guys know who Tony Hawk is. They're talking to his family. And then, me and my friend, uh, one of my favorite, two of my favorite uh, Vert Ramp guys were Danny Way and Bob Bernquist. And I'm talking about, like, you know, Danny Way and all this stuff. And the guy behind me goes, Hey, guys, I heard you talking. Like, who's your favorite skater? And I was like, oh, Danny Way, that guy's a legend, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, I'm his brother. And I was like, what, the no way. And we looked, and we're like, oh, my gosh, like, we've seen videos of this guy. We're sitting next to Danny Way's brother. And that, that was cool in and of itself. We're like, okay, we've, we've talked to enough famous people to name drop when we get back to the hockey team. Be like, yo, look who we met. And then my friend's dad was like, hey, this isn't enough. After that, after the competition's over, he found his way back to the floor of the vert ramp. And so we get our press passes and we go and all of a sudden we're literally walking through legends and, 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 and it was amazing. And so we're getting them to sign like, you know, our press pass, sign my forehead, you know, sign anything they could, they could sign. But the coolest part was I actually had a conversation with Bob Bernquist. I actually had a conversation with him. And if you know Bob Bernquist, and Bob Bernquist is, he's like what it was at his prime, the most technical vert ramp skater of his day. I think he was the first skater to do like the full, full on like one of those things full-on loop on a skateboard. There's a legend, all right? And I, I won't say what I, what I said to him in a conversation, because I was trying to, as a ninth grader, impress my friend, and it wouldn't anyways. Uh, but I, I, I made a stupid comment to him, and he responded laughing. And um, yeah, I'm not gonna say. It. Anyways, so, uh, but here's the deal. We, I, what drove us to rush to the floor of that vert ramp and be just in awe of everyone we were seeing. And and what drove me to talk to Bob Burnquist, even though I was literally shaking as I was talking to him, was that, I, I, in a way, I I treasured these guys. These guys were my gods. These these guys were were holy other. Like, if you've seen Wayne's World, like, we are not worthy, we are not worthy. That's what drove me, right? But here's the deal. If I was at the Scrabble games... No one's rushing to the floor to get autographs from, from the US Open to Scrabble. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think the reason I share that is, is this is that unless you and I learn to hallow the name of God, unless you and I truly treasure him, who he is, and, and, and all that he's done for us, we're not gonna pray. And so we could do a, an eight-week series on, on prayer, which we're doing uh, all we want, but if in your heart, in your heart, you're not treasuring God, you're not delighting in Him, you're not enjoying Him, you're not just an, an ounce of curious to experience more of His grace and His love and His guidance in your life, you're not going to pray. And so I think where we can go wrong is that when, when we do a series on the Lord's Prayer, and, and, I, and, I, and I love this series, and, and it's been awesome. And, and, and Jeff's sermon uh, last week was just beautiful, unpacking the ramifications of God as our Father. And, and, and that John 1, 12, that Jesus Christ, uh, for those who believe in Christ and receive him, he gives right to become the children of God, which means that you and I can come to the person of supreme value and worth just as we are. Like Jeff said last week, we can come boldly. We can come messy. We can come honest. We can come trustful. And so I think where we can go wrong is we focus not on the person, but we focus kind of on prayer in and of itself. And this is what Paul Miller says about prayer in his book, A Praying Life, which I highly encourage you if you need a book to read, read this. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they were focusing on praying and not on God. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. Conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. Consequently, prayer is not the center of this book. Getting to know a person, God is the center talking about the book he wrote, but I can say the same thing about the prayer series we're going through right now, is that consequently prayer is not the center of this series, it's getting to know a person, God, as the center. Prayer is not an end in itself, it's a means to a far greater end of getting to know a person. And so that's why the petition we're looking at this week, last week we looked at our Father, and as Jeff said, which is so true, that our Father is the foundation of prayer. That's why we can pray, it's because we can call God our Father. That's the first petition, or the first line of the Lord's Prayer. And then the next uh, line is, Hallowed be your name, which is the focus of my sermon this morning. And I would say that this is the most important prayer of your life. This is the petition that all the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer are derivative from. And I got news for us this morning, in case you didn't know this, that the reason you exist, the reason that you're breathing right now, is to live out this petition, is to hallow God's name. And we're going to unpack everything that that entails. And so the big idea of my talk this morning is that the secret to a praying life is hallowing God. And uh, the three things we're going to be looking at this morning, I have three points in my talk, pretty simple. Why his name? Two, what's the significance of his name? And third point, what does it mean to hallow his name? So the first point of my talk this morning is, is why his name? Why, Why when we, when we pray, why does Jesus immediately teach his disciples to pray, hallowed be your name? And I think the reason why is because if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us think this way. Isn't prayer all about me? If prayer wasn't about me, why would I pray, right? The only reason I pray is because it's all about me. That's why I pray. And so for us to start with hallowed be your name and not my name, that immediately should, should, should get us thinking, right? Should get us thinking. And uh, I love what uh, John Piper has to say about our, our mindset sometimes as Christians. He calls this, this, this line of thinking where, where life is fundamentally about me, he calls it Disneyland Christianity, or the technical term he uses is narcissistic, optimistic deism, okay? So, tenet one is life is fundamentally about me. And so therefore, the Lord's prayer now looks like our Father who's in heaven. Okay, I'm cool with that. Uh, Make sure you you make much of my name. Make sure uh, you make my kingdom thrive on this earth. And and make sure you make my will be done. And and every other prayer that follows is all about me. Life is all about me. And I deserve for life to get better and to allow me to achieve all of my dreams. God, I have plenty of dreams. and, And now you have to follow me. And serve me to achieve my ends. I'm God. I call the shots. And in prayer, listen, God, I have my dreams and you exist to serve and answer all of my dreams. Disneyland Christianity, 10 at 3. God exists to bless me and make my dreams come true. God, the reason you exist is to bless me, to serve me. That's the only reason you exist. So who's God in this prayer? We are, and I would add a fourth tenet of this, and those who adhere to narcissistic, opti- optimistic deism are miserable. Those who adhere to this mindset truly have no joy in life. The most self-focused and selfless people uh, that, that you could you know, think of live this out, and they're often the most miserable people, right? In contrast to, to narcissistic, optimistic deism, um, let's go to what Jesus actually says. And this is what Jesus says about our purpose. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I think the key to understanding how to pray as a disciple, you first need to know what it means to be a disciple, right? Like, like we're going to look at Luke 9, 23 through 25, and the Lord's prayer in the gospel of Luke comes in Luke chapter 11, okay? And Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray in Luke 11. But in Luke 9, we have Jesus teaching his disciples this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Learning how to be a disciple precedes learning how to pray. So Luke 9, 23 through 25, you can throw that on the screen. This is what Jesus says. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Can you pull back up narcissistic, optimistic deism real quick? All right, life is fundamentally about me. We have in Luke 23, Jesus saying, if you want to follow me and be a Christian, be a little Christ, be a disciple, you must first deny yourself. Well, who's life fundamentally about if I deny myself? Well, it's not about me anymore, right? And then, and then two, Jesus continues. He says, and take up their cross daily. Take up their cross daily. So I deserve for life to get better. Well, Jesus says, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to take up a cross. Not a cute necklace that you wear, that I'm wearing right now, around my... No, no, like an an, an instrument of death and torture. When when Christ calls a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave his life for the gospel, he calls him, come and die. Calls him, come and die. I deserve for life to get better. Uh, Well, Jesus says, take up your cross daily. You want to be a disciple, deny yourself. It's not about you. Take up your cross. Life might not get better. You might follow me. Life might get worse. Uh, I, I, if you define it in this uh, framework, and three, God exists to bless me, and Jesus goes. Uh, the last part of Luke twenty three is, whoever wants to be my disciple must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So go back to the fir- the third tenet. So so now, if I'm called to follow Christ, then that means that God doesn't exist to bless me. But now, the fundamental uh, purpose of my life is I exist to follow Christ. And, and his dream, his purpose, his vision for my life, I exist to obey, to serve, to honor, to worship him. And then if we were to add a, a fourth tenet to what Jesus says, in contrast to this, it would be the words of scripture, which says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit They're very soft. The fourth tenet of optimistic deism, narcissistic optimistic deism, was that people who live that way are miserable. What Jesus says here is, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, and in doing that, in dying to yourself and living for me, you will have life everlasting, life abundantly, more joy than you can even handle knowing Christ. In order to find life, you have to lose it. When Christ calls you, he says, come and die. Surrendering isn't coming to God on our terms. It's coming to him on his terms. This is the way um, William Willimon puts it. And by the way, speaking of names, that is an awesome name. William Willimon, a biblical scholar, he he says this. In naming the holiness of God, he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, saying, hallowed be your name. In naming the holiness of God, we discover not just who God is, but also who we are. We are daily reminded that we are not our own. We belong not to ourselves and our desires, but to God. We are owned. I love that line. We are owned. And by praying, hallowed be your name, we are declaring who God is and who we are in light of who he is. And so when Christ calls us to become a Christian, he literally is saying in John 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, he says to be a Christian, you have to be born again. Because what being born again signifies, excuse me, flu making a comeback. What, what born again signifies is a new name, a new family, a new purpose, a new kingdom, new everything, a fundamental shift in your worldview, a fundamental shift from my, my, my to thy, 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 a fundamental shift in our praying life to my kingdom, my name, my will to your kingdom, your name, your will. That I am, you, you have, as, as uh, we're going to share a quote, I'm getting ahead of myself by this same scholar who says, God has commandeered us. He owns us and he has also commissioned us to make much of his name. And um, what we learn in that is that that is the purpose of our lives. And, and uh, just even acknowledging God as creator signifies that he is our designer And if you want to know how to best live your life, you need to go to the intent of the designer. Why did he craft you? And he crafted you to make much of his name. And when you do, that is where true joy is found, in him in knowing Jesus. And as uh, Paul Miller beautifully unpacks, he he says this kind of mindset in the prayer life, saying, hallowed be your name, this kind of thinking, completely changes our framework for prayer. It's not, we don't go to prayer now Um, trying to twist God's arm and make him surrender to our will. It's us going and it's an act of surrender to his will for our lives. And so when we start our prayer off with hallowed be your name, immediately we're recognizing that our lives are not all about us. It's the beauty of self-forgetfulness. The beauty of self-forgetfulness, the joy of self-forgetfulness, of focusing off ourselves, focusing on Christ, that we live for a far higher purpose than one of our own vain choosing. We live to hallow, to treasure, to glorify the name of God. This is what John MacArthur says. Prayer is not for us to get what we want. It is for him to display his glory through meeting our needs. Prayer is first and foremost a recognition of God's majestic glory. And it is an act of submission to that glory. So again, I talked about how this line, hallowed be your name, is not a statement of just fact. We're not just saying that God is hallowed. We're going to unpack what that means down the road. But what it is saying is it is a third person imperative. It's a command. It is a request. We're saying, God, let your name be hallowed. It's the first request, the first command, and, and everything else is derivative of that in um, the Lord's prayer. So our prayers now shift to, Lord, for your name's sake, O Lord, would, you, would, you, would your kingdom come for your name's sake? Would your will be done for your name's sake? Would you provide for my needs? For your namesake, would you forgive my iniquities? For your namesake, would you deliver me from temptation? For your namesake, God, for your glory, not for my own. I'm not here. I'm not here uh, abiding with you for my kingdom, but for yours. Far greater kingdom. Far greater. Far greater calling in my life than my than my vain trivialities that I try to make it all about me. Thank you, God, for the honor and the privilege it is to serve someone as awesome as you. Your will be done, your kingdom done for your name's sake, O Lord. That's why it's all about his name and not our name. Two, what's the significance of his name? Like, why didn't Jesus start this prayer off and say, God, may you be hallowed, or our Father, you be hallowed. He, he, what we need to look at, why necessarily his name? Well, what we know to be true is that a person's name is inextricably tied to their nature, Right? Like, their name is inextricably tied to their nature. We find this all throughout Scripture. It's not just, it's not just a title. It's not just who you, are, who, who you are called, but it's who you are. And so, Jen and I, we have a, a baby on the way come March, and uh, another baby girl, in case you guys didn't know that. We're super excited about that. But uh, I don't know about y'all who've had kids, but it is so hard to come up with a baby name. Am I right? It is so hard. And I was kind of hoping for a boy... Because um, uh, my dad's name was Nick. His name was Nick. Every firstborn son of my family name named Nick. So if I had a son, it's going to be named Nick. I was like, boom, done. All right. No, no, no thinking, no list, no top three to your top three, and then compare everything. And all of a sudden, like, Jen and I are going back and forth, you know? And we're just, I'm like, and, and she would drop a name. It's a great name. But I, then I, I'd start thinking, and, and what I'd be doing was name association. And, I, and, and this is a true story. I go, oh, sorry. Sorry, Jen, can't be that name. Third grade. <laughs> There's this girl. Super annoying. Can't name her. That. Third, She was like, third grade? Are you kidding me, Nick? We're going to have to make up a name. And, uh, and why is that, right? It's because name is tied to your nature. It's who you are. And, uh, and so, therefore, as we're, you know, the, 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 I mean, just even the insanity of, of thinking that you're going to give someone else a name. That's pretty crazy to think about as a parent. But that, uh, through that name, it implies what they're going to be like, how they're going to act, their attributes, their character, and, and all that stuff. And so name and nature were so tied for the Hebrews, and I believe Jeff unpacked this last week in a sermon too, that uh, the Hebrews wouldn't even say the divine name, Yahweh, because they wouldn't dare take his holy name, his, his holy nature upon their unclean lips, so, uh, so in my Hebrew class last year, as we're reading through Hebrew scripture, uh, and, and, and we would see the divine name, students would mistakenly say Yahweh, and the professor would go, ah, excuse me, what'd you say? And he, he'd shut him up. And, and when you came across that, you were supposed to say Adonai, which means the Lord. You wouldn't dare utter the the divine name. That's how hallowed, that's how sacred, that's how set apart holy God was. And that's how close his name and nature were tied together, that you wouldn't dare put his name on your lips. So in the Bible, what we learn is that God's name stands for the whole character of his person. So when you say God and you say his name, you are talking about all that he is his his attributes his his nature his personality his character who he is what he's done his name serves as the doorway the gateway to to everything he is everything that you can know about him everything that he has revealed himself to be in his word to us and so for me for my name you all know me as, as Nick, but I also go by a ton of other names. But under my name, Nick Mudrazo, or these other names I've been called, my hockey players would call me uh, Muddy. That was my nickname on the hockey team. Hey, Muddy, Muddy, what's up, Muddy? Because my last name, Mudrazo, uh, some of my friends call me Pastor Nick. Now that I'm a dad, they call me Papa Nick. Um, uh, some people have called me a coffee addict, and my favorite one, uh, probably most disrespectful but also creative, was from a youth group kid who called me uh, Baldilocks. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. If you didn't get that, just Goldilocks, but you put bald and baldilocks. Um, nobody else can say that to me. Anyways. Um, but under all that umbrella of those things is my name, Nick. And under the name of the Lord are all these beautiful attributes of who he is. And, 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 and so if you know me, you know all those aspects about me. If you know my name, you know who I am, you know that about me. And this is what Psalm 910 says. It says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Amen. That's a beautiful verse. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What this psalm implies is that, listen, it's saying if you know God's name, you trust in him. But what we know to be true is that plenty of people who don't trust in God know his name. They say the name of Jesus. They use it in vain. They use... God's name is a, is a curse word, but they don't put their trust in him. What this psalm is saying is that if you know his name, you know God. You know his nature. And if you know his name, you know his nature, then you're naturally going to put your trust in him because you know that he's Lord. You know that, that you owe everything to him as creator. And you know once you come to know him as a son and daughter, you know he's a good father, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Those who know your name put their trust in you. And the psalm saying you cannot know his name without trusting in him and hallowing that name. And so when we pray, Lord, hallowed be your name, we're talking about every aspect of who he is. Every aspect that he's revealed himself to be in scripture, that 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 would be hallowed, that your name would be hallowed. And, And listen, the very names of God throughout scripture identify the full range of God's glorious attributes. We could spend we could spend a lifetime studying and going through just the names of God and the implications of that in Scripture, the various uh, attributes of him. And so here's just a, a short list uh, of, of Hebrew names that they had for God. Obviously, we can go to God as, as our father. And that's how Jesus uh, introduces us to prayer and to God, is, hey, talk to him as Father. That's the foundation of prayer, you coming to him uh, as Father. Uh, the Hebrews would say Adonai, which is Lord. They'd also say El Yon, God, the Most High. Jehovah, or Yahweh, I am that I am, I am the eternally existing one. God's name also, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord who will provide. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our banner, the Lord who is our victory. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. Jehovah Makedeskem, the Lord who sanctifies. And then you could also go Isaiah 9, Lord, you're the prince of peace, wise counselor, mighty God. God everlasting father the list goes on and on and on and on it goes and I think that when we when we start our prayers and we say hallowed be your name and we start there just reflecting on on, on just the names of God and all that he's promised for us and his children that oftentimes when we were to rush with our requests and our need if we stop and slow down and think about who our God is we'd realize that we're taken care of amen This is who you are, God. This is who you promised to be. I'm in good hands. My trust is not in my 401k or lack of a 401k. It's in you, Jehovah Jireh. I'm in good hands. God, my father, God who will provide. God who is present in this crisis. Jehovah, uh, where are you at? Boom, Jehovah Shema. The Lord is present. You haven't left me in this crisis all alone. You're right here. You're dwelling in me. You're present in this. And oftentimes we rush to God as we should. We come to him bold and messy, but it's beautiful the way Christ introduces us to prayer. Say, hey, reflect, hey, hallowed be the name of God. Well, well there's, a, there's a lot of names of God in here. There's a lot of attributes, a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of things he's promised of who he is and who he's promised us to be. And as we do that, it kind of quiets our hearts. It quiets our hearts. Hallowed be your name. And lastly, thirdly, we're looking at Well, what does it mean to hallow his name? Quick disclaimer, if you're honest with yourself, uh, 90% of us probably have no idea what this word means, hallow, right? We've said it a lot, and as I've studied it, I've gotten to know it a lot. But for a while, you know, growing up, as we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Lord, hallowed be your name, be like, Lord, hey, uh, forgive me. I don't know what that means, but your name is hallowed, you know? Um, And uh, although I was familiar with the name because I grew up... um, talking to a Ukrainian grandmother on the phone a lot, and she would always say, hello, Nick, Uh, hello. (laughs) Anyways, uh, so, anyways, hallowed comes from uh, the root word holy, okay? So there's kind of two instances in scripture for hallow. Hagiazo means to make holy, to sanctify. So this is where we get the word sanctification. This is what God does to us. Uh, the beauty, uh, the promise of sanctification is that it's, it's present salvation. It's God actively working in you to make you more like Christ, to mature you. That God isn't a deistic God who, who flipped the dominoes of the, the universe and just said, peace, hope you figure this out. No, God is actively at work in your life, sanctifying you, making you holy, actively at work in your life. That's one aspect. That's the way we are made holy. The second aspect of this verb that's, that's being used in this prayer is to honor as holy. To hallow, to feel great reverence for. And that word holy and everything it, it, it entails means that you are, we're set apart. And so when we treat, acknowledge, and honor God as holy, what we're saying, God, is you are holy other. You're, you're, you're set apart from us. You are of supreme value, you are supremely majestic, wonderful. Uh, uh, everything that we aren't, you, you are, and, and, and everything good, uh, is, it flows from you. Basically, we're saying you're holy. You're set apart. Unlike us, we're we're in, we're finite. You're infinite. We're bound by time. You're not. We're bound by 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 by, by space. You're immaterial. You're transcendent. Uh, so on and so forth. And so the way John Piper describes what it looks like to to hallow God is to treasure him. The way John Piper puts it, is, tre- is hallowing, is treasuring, is, is, is uh, ascribing to God the glory that is due his name. This is what Psalm nine two says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I love this verse. I love this verse. That word glory there is, comes from the Hebrew word kavod, which, which implies literally the Hebrew word for glory is, is, is weightiness, a, a, a heaviness. And, and we're to ascribe the glory, that, that, that there's glory that's due God's name, that we are to ascribe to him. This is what it looks like to hallow God's name. And so when we ascribe God the glory due his name, we are showing the world that he is of profound significance and value in our lives. He's not insignificant. He's not unimportant. He's not triple. He is the one of supreme value. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the ultimate authority who we owe our everything to. And through our prayers and through our actions, we either take God's in, name in vain and show that he's insignificant, or we show that he is truly hallowed in our hearts. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the way we hallowed is this. John Piper has this quote, I love this. He says, God is most hallowed in us when we are most happy in him or stated differently. Again, John Piper says that the chief end of your life and the chief end means that the reason you exist is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That if you want to treasure God, you want when you're praying, hallowed be your name, is basically saying, God, it's this prayer. It's saying, Lord, above all in my life, would you cause your great and holy name to be honored and reverenced, esteemed, and treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including my heart. You want to hallow God? You enjoy him. You delight in him. Lord, above all in my life, would you cause your great, holy, majestic name to be honored, reverence, esteemed, valued, treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including my heart. And, and, and that last line there is important because hallowing is a heart issue. This is an issue of your heart. It's not just an intellectual issue, it's a heart issue. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you're here today and you believe that you exist to hallow the name of the Lord or you believe that God doesn't exist and you don't exist to hallow his name, the truth is that we are always hallowing something. We are always worshiping. We are always treasuring something. By the way we spend our time, our talents, our treasures, indicates to us what we consider of supreme value and worth in life. And so for this new year, uh, one of my big, uh, something where, you know, a quick confession that I have of where um, I've been treasuring my treasure. And so this new year, I've been trying to be a good financial steward, which is good. I want to be a good steward of the, the money that God has entrusted me with. But um, what, what, that, what has happened now is I'm trying to create a budget and like, okay, where do I want to be in 65 years? How do I get there with the, the money I have now to where I need to be at this point in my life? And that has become an, an, an obsession for me become a false god, where I believe now that my security is found in, in my financial savvy of just figuring this out um, and, and playing. And there's, and there's yes, there's obviously biblical principles to stewarding your resources well. But for me, it was, it was a treasuring. It was a hallowing. And, and the reason I share that is because what I found is that in the couple of weeks of the new year, my heart had grown cold to God. My heart had grown cold. And I was like, why was that? Why was I more excited about studying this stuff than I was about pursuing God? It's because I was hallowing something else. And so I think we have this idea that we, we come here on a Sunday morning and we hallow God's name and then we leave and we stop hallowing, we stop worshiping. That's not true. Yes, we come here and we worship and we, we make much of God's name here, but we also go and we, go and we start treasuring whatever else we're watching or doing or at the same time when we go home, like NFL playoff football today, right? But I think the beauty of that is, you know, football isn't a bad in and of itself. Like you said, I'm not saying don't watch football, because if you were to watch the Vikings game last week, which I did, and see the ending of that, you would, that's evidence that God exists, right? (laughs) 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 I'm not saying God's a Viking fan. I'm not saying God's a Viking fan. But listen, you'd be saying, oh, NFL players, they're not, they're not worshiping God by playing NFL. They're not, that's not hallowing God's name. I said, absolutely, they were. Because look how cool this was. If you stuck around and watched it. So basically, if you didn't watch the Vikings game, I'll fill you in. Basically, one of the most insane endings of football in recent history. Just, I mean, they were about to lose the game. There was no seconds left on the, the clock. And they had to score a touchdown to score a touchdown. They were like 60 yards, 70 yards back, and they scored a touchdown. It was, it was crazy. And a dude completely missed the tackle, which is just anyways. So, so the game ends, and the quarterback gets interviewed. And he gets asked this question, oh my gosh, this has got to be the most significant, important day of your life. And then the quarterback goes, of oh, the Vikings, he goes, actually, you know, it's funny, you say this is the most important day of my life, and actually, it's probably the third most important day of my life. First most important day of my life was when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I was like, boom, there it is, let's go. <laughs> oh, it was good. And then secondly, is when I met my beautiful wife, and he's like, yeah, and this is third, and I was like, ah that's what it means to hallow the name of God. Then they interview the wide receiver, who is the key catcher of the ball. Just a spin in the end zone. They interview him. This dude's so worked up, he can't even put a sentence together, but he's just saying, all glory to God. All glory to God. All glory. They're playing football, but at the same time, they're, they're, they're playing for a far greater purpose than, than a, a leather ball going across a line. Right, they they realize why they exist, and I and I would posit that those guys are probably the most contented and happy guys on that football team, because they're not winning for the Super Bowl. They're they're playing to bring glory to God. That's what it looks like to hallow His name, and so. The opposite of hallowing, I think contrast is the mother of clarity, and I'm going to slowly wrap up with this, slowly. Um, Contrast is the mother of clarity, and so I would say the opposite of hallowing God's name is to curse his name. And the way Old Testament scholar Jay Duma uh, uh, defines cursing someone or something is to declare someone to be insignificant or despicable. Do you guys catch that? To curse someone is to declare them as insignificant and despicable. And I would say that, uh, or to take that a step further, to take... The one person in the entire universe of supreme value and worth, worthy of all honor and praise, and to declare that person as insignificant and despicable is to curse his name. And I think we in the church don't necessarily have a problem with treating God as despicable. I think where we uh, fall short, and I'm preaching to myself right now, is showing the world that he is not significant in our lives treating him as insignificant. See, taking God's name in vain is so much more than just cursing. It's so much more than that. Here's how we take God's name in vain. We take God's name in vain when, listen, his name now becomes our name. We bear his name as Christians and by our conduct, show the world that we actually think he's insignificant and unimportant in our lives. They see how we spend our time. They see how we spend our money. They see how we spend our our talents. All things that God has given to us, to steward. And they want to know, hey, is this God truly important to you? Are you willing to take a hit for what you believe? Hallowed be your name. So today is an opportunity for me and for us. I would say you want to repent of that, of doing the opposite of hallowing God's name and showing that he's insignificant by the way we pray. And by the way we act is um, praying, Lord, help me hallow your name. Lord, help me see you as how truly valuable you are. Lord, hallowed be your name. Help me in this, Lord. We show his significance through our prayer and through our actions. William Willimon says this, in praying the Lord's Prayer, We have been commandeered by God, sanctified, set apart, ordained, made holy. We are commissioned to live our lives in such a way as to make visible to all the world that the holy God reigns. I love that. God has commandeered us. He has made us holy. He has hallowed us in a way so that now we are commissioned to show all of the world that this holy God reigns. What an awesome calling. Son and daughter of the king, commissioned to make much of his name his kingdom, to know more of his grace and his mercy and his guidance in our lives as we live to this end. There's nothing more exciting, nothing more uh, uh, life-giving than that, than knowing that. How silly of us to want narcissistic, optimistic deism when Jesus says, just come and die and you'll find life abundantly in me. We've been commissioned to live our lives in such a way as to make visible to all the world that the Holy God reigns hallowed, Lord in my marriage, in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in our church, in our world, would your name be treasured? Would the world know that you reign and that you're a good father. So I'm gonna conclude with this. So last week we talked about God as holy father, or heavenly father, and today we're kind of talking about God as holy other, set apart. So we kind of have a, a uh, dichotomy there. We say, we say, God, you're heavenly father, but also Your holy other. So, so which one is it when we pray? Which one is it? And the answer is Yes, he's both. He's both. This is what um, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, talking about God, he's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, who, eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and listen, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He is high and holy. And yet he's also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. And this is what Paul Miller says in his book of Praying Life. Majesty and humility are such an odd fit. This is one reason we struggle with prayer. We just don't think God could be concerned with the puny details of our lives. We either believe he's too big or that we're not that important. I'm gonna stop right there. So um, until this past year, and and talking with Jeff, and Jeff uh, gave me this book, Paul Miller, Praying Life, reference to that. I, I struggled with prayer. And the reason I struggled with prayer is because I was on the impression that God is holy other. He's got more important things to do, and I'm gonna be respectful, and I'm gonna go to him guarded. I'm not gonna go to him honestly. I'm not gonna go to him boldly. I'm not gonna go to him messy. I'm gonna have to clean myself up before I go to God. And he's got more important things to do. He's too big, he's too important. And, and he's at a distance, I'm not, and that's not the heart of our Father. And, and I struggled with prayer up until, honestly, really recently, until I'm kind of rediscovering a praying life. And I've been so grateful for this church, so grateful for Jeff, and so grateful for, for this renewed uh, vision of not just that my prayer life's been good, but I've been, I've been communicating with God, and he's been answering prayers. I could spend all day talking about crazy prayers he's answered in the past six months. Crazy prayers. Crazy prayers. And the, the quote goes on. He goes, no wonder Jesus told us to be like little children. Little children are not daunted by the size of their parents. They come regardless. I love that. I love that. And so last week, I'll conclude with this illustration. Last week, uh, or sorry, two weeks ago, uh, I have this big paper I need to write to graduate seminary uh, this May. The paper, the rough draft is due in March. It's 60 pages. It's a big integrative paper, all this stuff. So two weeks ago, uh, I start my day off and I'm playing with my daughter, Kelsey. She's just shy of two years. And we're, uh, you know, I'm on the ground with her playing with her toys and, and reading and all this stuff, you know, and it's, it's great had having a good time. And then I'm like, all right, Kelsey, daddy, you don't understand this. I got to go write an integrative paper. Can you say integrative paper with me? Okay. Uh, and so I go, I'm like, all right, bye-bye. You know, Daddy's got to go. Go bug mommy. And then I go. I try to sneak away. Shut my, my door to the office. I got my coffee. I got my books. I'm ready to research, ready to write, all that stuff. And then uh, not a, a couple minutes later, all of a sudden I hear, Dada! Da da I mean, just losing her mind. Losing her mind. My daughter. Just. I mean, I thought she was like the toddler police, like, kicking down my door, you know, about to arrest me or whatever. just... Anyways, the question I want to ask was Was Kelsey being disrespectful or was she hallowing my name in that instance? And I'll tell you, my my heart is a father. What I didn't say, Kelsey coming to me boldly, loudly, messy, because kids are always covered in stuff, like she's always messy, um, coming to me just as she is, trusting that I was there, coming honest, what she wanted. She wanted Dada. Was she... Disrespecting me or she shehala me. I'll tell you my, my response in that was not, "How dare you interrupt me." Come on, Nate. My response wasn't, "How dare you? How dare you?" You realize how many important things I have to do, Kelsey? You, you know if I don't get this done, I'm going to have to wait a whole another year to write this paper and pay a couple grand to write this paper again. How dare you interrupt me? I got more important things to do than to abide with you right now. It's not at all what I said. I got a huge, huge smile on my face. Because what I knew in that moment is that the delight I had in my daughter, she also had in me. And in that moment, she was treasuring me in that moment, right? I don't want to be blasphemous but a sick illustration. This is what this is God's heart. He wants us to come just as we are. He wants us to beat down the door. And say, God, I believe you're there. I trust you're there. I'm coming maybe for the first time in my life and I'm coming. Would you come and clean up this mess in my heart? Stop trying to clean yourself up before you go to your father. He's never asked us to do that. Every request, every command he's given us is saying, come to me if you're heavy laden and you're burdened and you need some rest, you need some forgiveness, you need some grace, you need some fatherly love and affection. Beat down that door. Beat it down. That's what it looks like. To hallow his name. And so I'm gonna conclude with Psalm 511. We'll pray. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. That those who hallow your name may rejoice in you. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you are our Father. That you don't demand we keep our distance but you're the God who's come to us in Christ Jesus and rescued us from ourselves and called us back to you with open arms. You're running towards us and you're saying, come to me. What is holding you back from me? Do you not understand my love, my affection for you? Do you not understand the grace, the forgiveness, the love, the peace, the mercy, the hope that I have in store for you if you would just simply come as you are to me? So Father, thank you for giving us the right to be called children of God, that we can come to you just as we are. So Spirit, would you come, and empower in our lives. Would you help us repent of not hallowing your name, repent of those ways of we've been uh, treasuring other things, Lord. And would we see you for how supremely valuable you are to us. May your name be hallowed, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. For your name's sake, O oh Lord. We thank you, God. In place in your name, Jesus. Amen.